F-Sides. That's Jason. That was Paul. And this, this is F-Sides. F-Sides. The Cyber Humanity Podcast where we focus on the human side of cybersecurity. This is our very first episode. Number one. It's, Numero it's, I, uno. I'm shocked. It's, here it is. We finally did it after a lot, of, a lot of planning. This is great, man. So if you're one of our three listeners, and I'm not counting our immediate family members who were possibly bribed, coerced, or guilt-driven to have to listen. Well, um, if, if you're one of those three and you're not my, my wife or sons, that is, is what you meant. Right. If you're, if you're not one of those three, we're going to explain a little bit for this very first episode of what, what would you say you do here, of what we're exactly doing here, and hopefully answer more importantly why the heck you should be listening and hopefully continue to listen to our podcast. Yes, and by the way, I love that reference, and I think you're going to talk about that later, of what would you say you do here, because that is one of my favorite statements. But, um, you know, I the the thing, the, for a little bit of background, Jason um, approached me about this, and we started talking more about doing a podcast. Like, oh, great, another podcast, great. That's that's exactly what the world needs. Is another Another podcast. one, yeah. And so, um, but the thing that... The thing that I've always liked about talking um, with Jason is, and I think people who've heard Jason and I talk is, we we often have similar but opposing views. And I know that that um, is, doesn't make sense probably initially, but we have a lot of views, but we come from different parts of, or we come from different backgrounds in security. So a lot of what you'll hear is Jason and I having some of the discussions we'd have over drinks um, or, or whatnot, where we, we argue in, in a good way, respectfully argue and, and talk through like why we disagree with each other on, on interesting security topics, in my opinion. And, and that's what I think this podcast will do. And I, cause a lot of podcasts I hear, it feels like everyone's just kind of slapping each other on the back. Yeah, that's, a, I totally agree. I don't think you'll get that here. No, not at all. We, you and I are both are fervent believers in the importance of disagreement. In fact, one of my favorite quotes. It's that this quote, freedom is hammered out on the anvil of discussion, dissension, and debate. That was Hubert Humphrey. And That's it's great. It's just a I love great that. way to look yeah. at the importance of we have to be able to disagree. We have to be able to have dissension and debate to come to a truth between us or even just to learn. You know, I learn all the time, but you as my mentor and the fact that I disagree with my mentor is fantastic that I don't have to agree with everything that, you know, the person that I followed in the footsteps of uh, tells me all the time. So well, Jason's being way too kind. I, I actually, he, I've learned far more from him, I feel like, because Jason is a very, and we actually both have different approaches towards how we think about things. You're a deep researcher. You love facts and, and, um, you know, case studies. I, I like facts and case studies too, but I don't read as, I don't think I read as many case studies as you, because Jason has a case study for every single issue you can think of. Um, whereas I use um, a lot, based some of the things I do on my experience, like, okay, I've seen this work. I've seen that, uh, done a certain way. Um, and case studies are just, in a lot of cases, extrapolation of multiple people's um, experiences. So I, I tend to use some of that when I have discussions. <laughs> and because you have that experience to fall back on. I think <laughs> yeah. you were writing your seventh book when I was no. still bartending my way through junior college. So, you know, there's that too. I don't think I, it was quite like that, but, <laughs> um, but you know, and that's, and but it's good to have someone like you, Jason, who will who has gone and done that extra study and isn't totally dependent on or not leaning more on 
the um, experiences because it's very important to hear other people's experiences. And that's something I try to do is when I, I people start to talk to me about their experiences, I try to be quiet, right? And, and I find that humility and listening, you actually learn a lot um, as opposed to sometimes you'll see CISOs coming in and saying, oh, I know all this and here's how you have to do it, right? And and Jason, you bring in a good perspective because you're always willing to argue and you have a lot of case studies. I don't know where, I think he Jason needs to start up a website on case studies are us where you type in, <laughs> what what do I need to argue about? And the case study shows up and, you know, maybe a picture of Jason smiling like Cliffy or something saying, is this the case study you're looking for? So, yeah, you're going to find that both Paul and I approach cybersecurity in our <laughs> unique and different ways and we don't always disagree. But just like science fiction, you may, we, we both love science fiction. We both love cybersecurity. But you might think, y'all like Star Wars, or do you like Star Trek better? And that's where we get into the fine points of the debate. But we both believe passionately about the importance of cybersecurity to get that out of this. The other, the other theme that you're going to hear a lot with us, besides us maybe disagreeing, hopefully disagreeing, uh, is this idea of move the elephant and moving the Wait, elephant. Wait, what? And, Move the <laughs> yes. elephant. Like, the yeah, elephant. Jason said that to me the other day. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Move the elephant. That makes no sense to me. Well, he, he's been, Paul's heard enough about it and read enough about it, so he <laughs> understands the concept, too. He's just yeah. playing with you folks. Um, <laughs> if you look on our on our branding, or you look on our website, you look on our logo, you're going to see the elephant predominantly displayed. It's F-Sides, F-S-I-D-E-S dot com. Check it out, and you'll see the, the whole idea is there's this very famous framework um, created by a psychologist at the University of Virginia, I believe he's at NYU now, uh, probably most famously referenced in the book Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. Great book. I highly recommend you check it out. It's about how to affect change in individuals, families, organizations, and companies. And the framework is this. It's that anytime you want to affect change or get people to change behavior, you need to have these three things work together. A little rider, imagine a little guy, about 180 pounds, sitting on top of an elephant, weighs about 6,000 pounds, walking down a path. And to get people to change, that elephant and that rider and that path need to be going in the right direction. And the direction of the elephant where it's going to end up is the change. Now, the rider represents the logic or the analytical side, the data side. Do you have the ROI? Do you have the numbers? Well, show me the spreadsheet that shows me we're gonna, why we want to do this. The elephant represents human emotion. It's that imagine you're on a diet. This is a great analogy to the rider and the, and, the, and the elephant and how much they can conflict is your little rider guy is saying, I need to lose weight. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, if, I do, if I eat this and I eat just this over the next week, I can lose a pound a week. But you, know, you get that elephant in a room full of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Who do you think is going to yeah. win that fight? You got a 180-pound guy trying to move a 6,000-ton elephant that's cookies, cookies, that yeah. wants to get those cookies. Cookies will win every <laughs> cookies time. Cookies will win every yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and the path represents process. Something else we in cybersecurity are big on, and we're going to talk a lot about process, is you know that's what frameworks are. That's what, uh, you know, it's the process of how you get that elephant and that rider to move down a path of change. But often, and mostly in my career, in my previous career, before I came across this framework in my grad school days, I always failed at motivating the elephant when it came to implementing change in organizations, getting change, getting things like, hey, I want to do a new security program, a new security awareness training program. I have a new framework. I have a new control I need to implement. I would always focus on, oh yeah, here's the why, here's the science, here's the writer, here's the ROI we're going to get, here's the reduction in risk, the path. Okay, so if we do these following 10 things, and then I'd be bummed when my stuff didn't get approved, 
no budget approval or the organization, I didn't have buy-in and people were just like not interested and they wouldn't take it seriously because I was never looking towards how do I get that elephant to agree with these things too. So this entire concept of our F-sides is really to talk about people and human beings and human behavior in cybersecurity and what gets humans to change. Yeah, and, and, and you'll hear a lot of what got us to change um, because I was in the same boat, right? I would always throw up um, all these data points and, and try to just uh, go the data route only. And I wasn't respecting and honoring the fact that a lot of decisions are based, are based off of emotion too, right? I mean, so you have to consider a lot of different things when you're trying to change people's behaviors and make sure to, to honor them or at least acknowledge that they're there and appease them. But that's something I think you'll hear a lot from Jason and I is how we did that. You'll get our experiences in it. Your experiences are going to be different, but we hope that um, you know what you hear from us will help um, help you in hearing a different viewpoint that you may not have heard. Yeah, absolutely. And also, occasionally expect to be peppered with obscure pop culture references throughout the podcast. We did one earlier to Office Space, nod out to one of the best movies of all time and funniest movies of all time. If you've never watched Office Space, you need to. But I think I think some of the follow up by by Mike Judge are just as good too. Um, nobody seems to agree with me, but everyone says Office Space is good. That's I do. Idiocracy great. was great. It was a little, I love it. A little too fortune telling for my taste, but <laughs> it felt like it. So hey, I'm, I noticed you're wearing a, a shirt. Tell me a little bit about that. You don't. You generally don't <laughs> right do that. because Paul should mention that that the plan was for me to go shirtless in these podcasts. So that's great that you <laughs> no. caught that. You caught that. Sorry, yes, I, I should have rephrased that. I decided Tell me a to wear bit a shirt. About the shirt you're wearing. Thank you Jason. for that. No, I, I think what Paul means is I'm not wearing a collared shirt. Typically, yes, I wear collared yes. shirts on all my on all our podcasts. You'll see me wearing collared shirts. And today, I came in ready to change into a collared shirt and keep the hat to be a little more casual. And then I realized, wait, I'm wearing a Good Trouble shirt. Good Trouble is a is a is a great way to look at what we're going to do today. And Good Trouble um, is a phrase that was made popular by uh, Georgia Congressman John Lewis and civil rights uh, icon. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, and I just love the phrase. I love the idea of it is that, you know, and he was also big on dissension and debate. I mean, kind of the godfather of it, of, you know, you have to sometimes step up and disagree with the norms to affect good change. So we hope we're, uh, Paul and I are going to get into some good trouble in this podcast. Yes, hopefully so. So we're going to kick off this first podcast with a little discussion Cybersecurity focused, but I believe that it can affect you whether you're not a cybersecurity professional. The idea of should you start with compliance or risk reduction in a security program? And Paul, I'm going to let you expand on that for maybe some listeners who might be, what do you mean compliance? And kind of give some definitions around that. Because I know what yeah. I mean. Well, actually, that idea that I just said I know what it means isn't true because <laughs> compliance could mean different things to different people. So take well, it. Yeah, away. let's talk about contextualization of what compliance means in the scope of this conversation. So uh, you, you may have heard that compliance is not security, right? You, that um, organizations that are compliant with certain regulations still have problems sometimes. And that's true, right? There is no silver bullet. If there was, you could automate information security. Um, but what compliance does is it helps to set a, a kind of a lowest common denominator on expectations within a, a um, regulatory field or within, um, you know, some agreed upon, you know, organization. For instance, let's use PCI, right? PCI sets requirements. You're required to meet these to, to be able to process credit cards. Therefore, you know, you, you need to comply with those rules. So compliance are things that are, um, 
you, you there's an expectation that you meet these uh, minimum requirements that some other, usually third party um, body will put into place. And so what, what Jason and I were having a conversation about is, okay, well, since compliance is not security, right? How do you help reduce security? And that's where you bring in, um, you know, you're reducing risk, right? And that could be using the Center for Internet Security Controls, where if you put in their their um, you know their security controls that you in, in version six right they did research that showed that you could reduce um, the potential of an incident by X percent I think it was in the eighty percent right eighty five percent there you go top five eighty five percent if you do all twenty in version six you could reduce it by ninety come on Jason, high nineties yes. yeah high nine okay I thought it was like ninety I'm a I'm a big fan of CIS I'm a fanboy. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a very very solid framework. So you know when you do that, you actually are reducing risk. It's not regulatorily required anywhere that you implement CIS um, that I'm aware of. Um, but you know if you do that, you are showing that you're reducing risk. So what we're going to talk about today is you know which one should you do first? Should you do the compliance stuff if you're just building a program out? Should you focus on compliance and then do risk later, or should you do risk and then compliance or some other option? And I think that's kind of what Jason and I are going to discuss. Yeah. And I, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that question. I feel like he just asked me a question. What should you say? I did. Paul, yes. I think I, I'm going to do the cop out of all cop outs on the answer, but just wait and let me finish the cop out. Paul, it depends. But oh. now I'm going to finish. Now I'm going to finish. <laughs> okay, okay. Now I'm going to finish that cop out thing. <laughs> it depends on the organization, but let's go with most SMBs, meaning okay. small to medium sized businesses. Under a billion dollars of revenue, even under a hundred million of revenue, which I think is the large mass of what we see out there in the United States, in North America, for businesses that are faced with this question. So, for SMBs, compliance is where you're going to want to start. And I hate answering that question, but it's the real world answer because it absolutely is not how you should start. But it's moving the elephant. That's how what's going to move the organization to be proactive about cyber. Because unless you tell people they have to do something for a small to medium sized business, profit will always override risk reduction. And shockingly, I'm going to agree with you to a point, right? Because compliance is a strong driver. As long as an organization hasn't decided that they're willing to forego compliance and accept risk of fines and so forth, because that is a risk strategy. Some organizations decide, hey, you know, it's, it costs us more to comply. We'll just pay fines. Um, you know, most security people don't like working in those types of organizations because you're not moving forward, right? You're just managing, you're managing risk, but in a, you know, using money to kind of replace um you know good security practices so i would say i actually agree with you that compliance is a great Darn point it. yeah it's a good point to start but actually i'm going to add in a, a a caveat that understanding what your management wants is exceptionally important super easy to say by the way right because they're always you know when you talk to management they're going to say well we want to comply we want to re reduce um you know the exposure to um, you know, an attacker breaking in or whatnot. And that would imply, okay, there's, in addition to compliance, we need to do risk reduction. Um, and what I would suggest is that you can do both. And the way to do that, and it's not easy, um, is to identify what your compliance requirements are. Your compulsory requirements is what I refer to them, right? The things you have to do. Uh, and then identify... Compul the actually, that's the opposite of compulsory. Compulsory right. is you're compelled to do it. You can do it, but you don't have to be PCI compliant. That's what compulsory, right? 
Regulatory is a law that says you have to do this. Compulsory well, is we choose to be PCI compliant. The way we, the way I think about it is that compulsory is you you don't have an option, right? You have to do it. So no, I disagree. We'll, we'll, look at well, the exact opposite. How did we get? Wow! How did we get debating about the word compulsory? Compulsory. Well, is we'll like, go through I'm, that later. I'm choosing. Actually, to I'm, I'm going to go look up now uh, just to make sure. But basically, okay. it's things that you're required to comply right. with. So, so PCI, just, PCI credit cards say you got to do these controls and have these controls implemented. You have no option to to change them. You have. But to and here's the problem with starting. Here's an argument about why starting there can be a bad thing and why mm -hmm. I don't like starting with compliance is it's, it's all based on what they call scope. Scope is, well, what yes. environments are you talking about? So let's say you have at your company somebody who's responsible for the cafeteria, no, a, no, a free cafeteria. All they do is cook food. They have the little workstation where they work on their menus, and that's what they do. PCI is going to say they don't deal with credit cards. They're not in scope. It means don't worry about what they're doing, and I'm not even going to go look at what they're doing for security. So the problem with me with starting with compliance and why I'm so dead set against it, yet I just said start with it, <laughs> is that scoping will not be – the company will want to spend the minimum amount to get compliant. That's every Depending company's on job the organization. revenue. Yeah, absolutely right. I argue 80 to 90% of, of SMBs are revenue profit driven. Uh, and I'm I'm not I I won't be passive. I won't say I don't disagree. Um, I agree. Right. So the thing to understand with that though is that, um, in in the way I view it is, if you if you're playing games with scope, I actually heard um, many years ago, I, and I don't remember the name of the company, but it it doesn't matter. Right. The there was a a massive issue. There was a breach at the company. And I had read where uh, the an article with the CISO basically was talking about how the CISO years before had get a, given a podcast, uh, an interview saying, oh, yeah, my goal is to reduce the scope on all of these compliance things. And here's the conversations I have with the auditors. It's like, yeah, if you're playing scope games, then you're, you know, you're you're definitely more of a compliance CISO initially. Um and I would say maybe I would I would actually say I want to be a risk CISO and you can be a risk CISO and pull compliance in and still meet the compliance goals. And that's where I was you I I would suggest identify what your compliance requirements are and then find a good framework for risk like CIS or whatever you choose and then um, merge those together and say, OK, out of the here's the. Here's the risk controls that we need to have. Here's where they link to the compliance requirements. Okay, I can accomplish two goals with one thing. I'm going to, when I show this to people, I'll focus on the compliance, but knowing that we're going to get to this ultimate goal of risk reduction as well. Right. And that's actually you. This is the, the mentorship that was Paul taught me that. And it's the idea of taking the most restrictive controls. You, you look at your list. Here's the things PCI says I have to do. Here's the things CIS says I should do. Let's pick, oh, one has passwords at eight characters and this complexity. The other one has passwords at 10 characters and no complexity. You pick whatever is the most restrictive across your organization. And it's really, you, do, you can use that as a, as, here's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. It's a cost savings. Because the organization, <laughs> well, why do you want this so restrictive? Oh, it's because it's just going to be so much easier to manage and it saves us costs with having to manage two different environments for passwords. We're just going to yeah. set it across yeah. the board. And you can start scope creep on your own if you're in security to sort of start applying those PCI great controls in PCI across the organization instead of just tightly scoped is exactly a great way to use compliance and start shifting towards risk. But when it comes to you reporting and getting budget for things, when you say, I need budget for, for PCI compliance, you're going to get yeses for that budget a heck of a lot more than you're going to say, oh, I want to reduce risk by such and such by implementing this control.
Well, and let me add something to that, um, is that that tells a story that people understand. And we'll be talking about that in later podcasts, that compliance is a story that people can wrap their head around immediately, right? Risk reduction is a lot more of a complex subject because risk reduction really depends on the people involved and what their perception and acceptance of risk is, right? So the compliance, it takes out the emotion and the interpretation. It's like, it is what it is. Right. So that's a story that's it's already pre-built for you. So it's very, very easy to to use that story. The harder part of a CISO's job is to sell the story of risk reduction, why a shared vision of what your interpretation of the appropriate level of risk is important and get buy in. And that's a much harder conversation to have. It is a struggle, but we're going to get into storytelling as yes. a topic later on. We're going to yes. talk about we're going to talk about all these awesome things that we just sort of very lightly sprinkled at you today, talking about compliance and risk reduction. So, the answer to the question: Should you start with compliance or risk reduction <laughs> in a security program? I think Paul and I both agree that yes, you start with compliance, but can't you should start with compliance if you're an SMB but well let's give my answer for that here's my yeah, answer and then I'll give mine How my succinct answer yeah audience folks yes start if you're an SMB and you're in security and you're just trying to kick off a security program start with compliance driven because you're going to get what you need from the organization it's easier to push through it's easier to sell and then slowly start moving and shifting over to a risk reduction based security program using either a better or different framework or combining frameworks in. That's my yeah, and short I, answer I, to that yeah. question. Paul, and I would agree. Answer? Yeah, is start with compliance as a tactical um, maneuver, right? Because again, that 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 story is pre-built for you. It's very easy. It's it's been it's been shared before and but integrate the strategic risk reduction framework and select a risk reduction framework early. And the good thing about Frameworks, um, especially the non-compulsory, which Jason and I are going to argue about later, uh, but the ones that aren't, um, you know, necessarily required, is you can change them out if they don't fit your needs, right? You can do a fast-fail type of approach and say, "Hey, CIS doesn't work in my organization. I'm going to use a different framework," right? Um, so I would say integrate that in to your compliance immediately uh, and and understand what compliance activities help you meet the risk reduction goals. Um, and do that sooner than later, because the longer you wait, it feels like the harder it is to integrate because you've already started down a path and people are focused on the compliance only aspect, especially within your security team. Absolutely. Wow. High five. That wasn't as uh, disagreeable or dissension filled <laughs> or debate filled as I would have thought, but stay tuned for our other ones. I know that there's a lot more out there because Paul and I are constant in, constantly debating ideas and topics. This time it wasn't over beers. It was over a good trouble t-shirt. Um, stay tuned for our next episode coming, I believe, in one or two weeks. We still haven't figured out the cadence. We have no idea what we're doing. What's going on yeah. here? Who is this? I, I, I didn't even know I was doing this today, Jason. I, you just told me to turn on my camera. Let's chit chat. So and it awesome. turned into a podcast. So great. He's lying, folks. He can tell when he's lying because his nose grows. You can see the camera. His nose would be Pinocchio. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks, everybody. Please uh, stay tuned for episode two. And welcome to F-Sides. And goodbye from F-Sides. Great. Welcome. Thanks. It's the elephant in the room.